Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am super glad that you're joining me here on the Bible and Life. The Bible and Life podcast is part of, one piece of, an overall Bible teaching ministry that simply goes by the same name, Bible in Life, that includes this podcast, it includes a handful of online courses to help you learn how to study the Bible, to learn how to obey and follow Jesus and walk by the Spirit. Those are all available at johnwhitaker.net. It also includes uh, the listener's commentary, which is where I teach straight through books of the Bible. I've got 15 New Testament books done. I'm partway through number 16, the Gospel of Mark. And so that's available at listenerscommentary.com. And all of that is under this overarching umbrella of the Bible in Life online Bible teaching ministry. And that whole ministry is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching effort. And so to those of you who make this ministry possible, could I just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Um, when I started creating all these online resources, my wife's first question was, can we even make a living doing that? And I'm like, I don't know, but I really feel like the Lord wants me to do that and put some of these resources out there in a way that hopefully can be accessible and helpful to people. And because of your faithfulness, your prayers, and your generosity, this ministry continues to grow and to expand, and uh, we just continue to pray for the Lord to provide for it, as well as to bear much fruit through it. And so thanks a ton to those of you who make this whole ministry possible, and for your generous support, for your prayers, and all of that. Also, I wanted to make note that uh, one of the resources that has recently been added to both websites, johnwhitaker.net and listenerscommentary.com, is a new ebook, a 30 page ebook that I'm giving away for free. Um, that, because I believe it's so valuable, that's really a guide to helping you both hear and heed the Bible. Because Bible study involves both of those. We have to hear it well, which means listen closely, ask the right questions, understand it in its original context so that we really understand its message, hear it well, and then once we hear it, we need to respond appropriately to it. We need to heed it. What does the text say we need to do? How does the text say we need to respond? How does the text encourage us? How does the text deepen our walk with God? Hear and heed the Bible. So that's totally free. 30 pages. It's also got two pages of just some resources that'll help you study the Bible more, digital resources, online resources, as well as a few books that I would encourage you to, to look at if you really want to dig into the text of Scripture as well. So that's available on both websites. Go there um, on johnwicker.net. Simply click join. A little pop-up will come where you put in your uh, name and email address. You'll get a link and you'll get redirected right to that ebook, listenerscommentary.com. It's just about scroll down about half halfway down the page there on the home page and you'll see a spot where you can uh, sign up for that ebook and get that ebook and so totally free I believe it's super super helpful to to helping you learn how to understand the text and how to live it out in your life all right now let's jump into what we're talking about on this week's episode it's part two of a series that uh, we're just looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in our discipleship to Jesus as his followers. And uh, on part one, uh, last week, we talked about who the Holy Spirit is, just a, 
a quick introduction to help us realize that when we're talking about the Spirit, we're not talking about just like some sort of power or force. We're actually talking about one of the persons of the Godhead. He is a divine person, and he has now been poured out and sent to dwell with us. So he is God with us. And this is part of, in the context of the entire biblical story, this is part of God's restoration of all things, restoring his presence with us, to us, where uh, in the beginning, humans walked with God in the Garden of Eden, but that fellowship, that perfect union with God was ruptured and broken and destroyed because of our disloyalty and disobedience to God. God has been working to restore that. And in and through Jesus and the Spirit, God has now come to dwell with us, and he's restoring us back to himself. And so the Spirit is God with us now in the present time. We talked about that last time. On this particular episode, we want to talk about, well, what's what's new about the Spirit? Like, okay, so didn't they have the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? I mean, like, he didn't just all of a sudden show up in the New Testament, did he? Um, and the reality is, yeah, the Spirit was clearly active and involved in God's work of redemption in the Old Testament. And you can see that, right? Like right from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, you see the Spirit hovering over the waters of creation. Um, you see him, for example, in the Exodus account where the Spirit empowers the craftsmen who build the tabernacle. God gives the blueprints for the tabernacle. Uh, Moses uh, recruits some craftsmen, and then the Spirit anoints and empowers the craftsmen to build it. Um, you see the Holy Spirit anointing kings in the Old Testament. For example, King David prays in Psalm 51 for God don't take your spirit from me, right? Or you see the spirit uh, anointing prophets to uh, speak God's word and to do acts of power and miracles on God's behalf. Um, and so the spirit is clearly at work in and involved in the work of redemption in the Old Testament. But it seems like it's a pretty big deal, a pretty spectacular thing when the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament. So since he's the Spirit of God, and since God has been around forever, uh, that means that the Spirit has been around all throughout the biblical story. So what's the difference then between the Spirit's role in the Old Testament versus the Spirit's role now? Why is it such a big deal when the Spirit comes in the New Testament era. Why is it a big deal when Jesus says that he's going to pour out his spirit and promises that, for example, in the Gospel of John? Um, and in fact, when you read through the Old Testament, you already see this sort of forward-looking to a time period when God is going to pour out his spirit. And even in the Old Testament, through the Old Testament prophets, we realize, oh, there's a day coming when God's spirit would come and work among God's people and dwell among God's people in a fuller, grander, more complete sort of way than he did with craftsmen and kings and prophets and such things is that. For example, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, it's actually the passage that the apostle Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. He quotes from Joel chapter 2, and, he's, and he says that this pouring out of the Spirit, this is what the prophet Joel 
promised and looked forward to, where in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit on all mankind, on uh, men and women, old and young, and they are going to speak of the mighty works of God. They're going to prophesy. That's Joel chapter 2. There's also this well-known passage from the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36. Let me read you verses 26 and 27. It says this, Moreover, the prophet, or God speaking through the prophet, Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And then God says, I will put my spirit within you and bring it about so that you may walk in my statutes and be careful to follow all my ordinances. So God's going to pour out his spirit. And when he does, it's actually going to help his people keep his commands, keep his instructions. And so you get that passage from Ezekiel chapter 36. And here's one more, one from Isaiah. Isaiah 44 verse 3 says, I will pour out water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And so the Old Testament prophets look forward to this day that at some point in the future, in God's plan of redemption, in his work of restoring all things, that the Spirit himself would be poured out in a grander, fuller, richer sort of way. Well, that's what happens then in the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost. And so, on the day of Pentecost, you can read about that in Acts chapter 2. If you want all the details of that, feel free to check out my listener's commentary on Acts, and you can listen to Acts chapter 2. But on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, God pours out his Spirit in fulfillment of these kinds of promises from the Old Testament prophets, that there was going to come this day when God was going to do something new and rich and deep, and it would involve the coming of his Spirit. And that's what's happening in Acts 2. And when that happens, it's a major development in God's rescue operation. Like we're moving from the age of promise, the age of looking forward to the age of fulfillment. This thing that the prophets were promising and that God's people were looking forward to is now happening there in Jerusalem uh, on the day of Pentecost. And that's what is going on in Acts chapter 2. And so the Spirit being poured out... Um, on God's people and the Spirit now coming to be God dwelling with his people in Christ, well, that marks the beginning of like the climactic stage in God's work of restoring all things. And so let me just give us a little bit of a framework to help us understand sort of as all these promises and all these prophecies were, were being given by the prophets, how the Jews began to think about that. And then let's look at the New Testament and how that actually happened. So we understand how the Spirit really relates to this climactic stage. Like we're, we're moving forward to a new era, a new stage in God's work of redemption. And so with all these prophets, uh, prophecies in mind, all these promises, the Jews sort of had this idea that someday Messiah was going to come. And when Messiah came, the Spirit would be poured out, and the curse would be removed, and all manner of evil would be gone, and we would enter into this 
restoration of all things. Like, so they had this very clear-cut two-stage picture of history. The stage they were living in, uh, while they were waiting for the Messiah to come and waiting for the Spirit to be poured out and waiting for Israel to be restored, waiting for this grand era when the lion and the lamb would lie down together, right? When disease would be removed, the... Um, the veil of death would be taken away from all humanity and all things would be made new. This great, glorious restoration of all things. So they had the age of promise and the age of fulfillment. And it was very clear. The problem is when we get to the New Testament and we get to Jesus, that's not the way it happened, right? What we get in is the age of promise, but then Jesus comes, he uh, is raised from the dead, and the Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, but um, all that's broken and wrong in the world didn't immediately get removed, right? Like disease, death, sin, evil, it's still here, but the Spirit has been poured out. Well, that then was for the the uh, apostles in the New Testament, it's like they had to kind of rethink the framework that they had inherited um, as Jews, as reading the scriptures. And as they, they rethought it, basically what it meant was you, you still have the two stages, but the, the, the stages overlap. It doesn't just, the old era doesn't just give way to the new era immediately. You get this overlap where the, the spirit being poured out is the... Um, age to come, the age of fulfillment, breaking into the present evil age. And so those who are in Christ and those who have the Spirit now are, are living by the resources of and the power of the age to come, but they're still living in this present world that is still fallen and broken and that is still waiting for the final restoration of all things. It is this overlap of the ages. And that's where we live. And so Jesus' death and resurrection and then the pouring out of the Spirit indicate that the future life and the future order has begun. The age of fulfillment has begun. Uh, it has broken into the here and now, but it hasn't arrived fully uh, because we, we still have the brokenness and fallenness of the present evil age at the same time. And so we get this tension, this overlap between the already, it's already begun, and the not yet. It's not yet fully uh, arrived, right? And so we get both of those at the same time. And what that means is, as God's people, we're living during the overlap of the ages. We're experiencing the life of the future in part already by virtue of the Spirit and the forgiveness of sins and being new creations in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? We, we're uh, experiencing the life of the age to come already in part, but there's still more to come. Uh, we are those, uh, as 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, the Apostle Paul writes, we are those upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Like those of us in Christ, full of the Spirit, the ends of the ages have come upon us. We've experienced that. We've tasted that. We're dwelling there now, but we're doing so in the midst of the present evil age as well. Um, 
And this view, this overlap idea, actually influences all New Testament thinking about who we are and how life is now experienced and lived. And so, for example, you get in the, the letter of Ephesians, Ephesians 1.7, you get, we are redeemed. We have been redeemed. Our sins have been forgiven, Ephesians 1.7. But a few paragraphs later, in Ephesians 4, verse 30, um, Paul says, we wait for our redemption. Well, which is it? Are we redeemed or are we waiting for redemption? Well, it's both. We're redeemed and we're waiting for our redemption. And he clarifies there in Ephesians 4.30, he means specifically the redemption of our bodies, our resurrection. And so both and. We were redeemed, but we're not fully redeemed yet. Um, or Romans chapter 7, verse 5, another example of this overlap view affecting so much what the New Testament says. Romans chapter 7, verse 5 says, when you were in the flesh, meaning you're not in the flesh anymore, and the flesh there isn't used for your physical body. Obviously, we're still in that, and we'll always be in that because of the resurrection. The flesh there is used to refer to humanity in its fallenness and its brokenness. And so when he says, when you were in the flesh, Romans 7, 5, the implication is, well, you're not anymore. Um, so we used to be in the flesh, but now we're not anymore in some sort of way. But at the same time, Romans eight thirteen again, just a couple paragraphs later, he says, but we have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So we have this tension between, in some sense, we've been liberated from the, the domination of the flesh, but the presence of the flesh still remains, and we have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Um, or 2 Corinthians 5.17, the new creation has already come. I mentioned, right? 2, 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation if you're in Christ, but we still wait for the new heavens and the new earth, the culmination when new creation is going to come completely and fully. Well, that view affects then everything in the New Testament that we live during this overlap where the the era of the Spirit, the life of heaven has broken into the here and now, um, and we experience it, but not fully and completely just yet. And this is why sometimes when the Apostle Paul talks about the flesh and the spirit, or the flesh versus the spirit, sometimes when he talks about that, the Apostle Paul can also talk about the old covenant, and he can say the old covenant belongs in the category of the flesh, which is shocking and surprising that Paul would say that. He was a Jew, after all. He was a Pharisee. He knew the value of the Old Covenant, right? And so when he says that the Old Covenant is part of the flesh, it's not because it was bad. In fact, Paul's emphatic about that. That the He's emphatic that the Old Covenant was good. It's holy and it's righteous and it's good. It teaches God's ways good in a, in a holy sort of way. But when he says it's in the flesh, what he means is, He's talking really about these two eras, and he's saying it was part of the old era. It was part of the era before the Spirit had come, and thus the old covenant was not sufficient for making God's people holy. It wasn't the final word on holiness. It wasn't the final word on uh, how God was going to restore humankind fully to himself. That's why the Old Testament prophets promised 
um, there's going to be, the spirit is going to be given, right? You could hear it there in Ezekiel 36 when he says, I'm going to get rid of that heart of stone, put a heart of flesh. What I mean is I'm going to, I'm going to give my spirit to you and he's going to enable you to actually keep my commands and my instructions like the old covenant couldn't because it was working with people who were purely in the flesh and didn't have the spirit. We need the Spirit in order to keep God's ways and live God's ways. So the Old Covenant was part of that former era, the era of the flesh, and that's why Paul can put it there. But now, well, now the Spirit has come. The Spirit was poured out on uh, the day of Pentecost, and now the Spirit is available to all who are in Christ. In fact, uh, when Peter finishes his sermon... In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, he actually says that. he Talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, This gift, this gift of the Spirit is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself. And so the Spirit has come, and now it's available to all God's people in Christ. And what that means is we now have new help and new power to live a holy kind of life. And that's the Spirit's role. It's not the only thing the Spirit does. He does more and has done more historically. He, he's done more things than just help us live a holy life. But that's his primary role. His primary job is to equip us and empower us to live like Jesus in the world. Uh, for example, Titus 3.5, the Holy Spirit renews us. Or Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 13, the Holy Spirit seals us, which means he marks us as belonging to God. Ephesians 1, 14, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our resurrection. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 13, the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh. Or Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, the Holy Spirit empowers us for godliness and for ministry. We're familiar with Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit produces Christ-like character in us that there in Galatians 5, 22 is referred to as fruit because he's growing it within us, this Christ-like character of love, joy, peace, and so on. So the Holy Spirit produces that fruit in us. Um, Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, the Holy Spirit testifies that we are God's children. Galatians 4, 6 basically picks up on that same theme and says the Holy Spirit enables us to call out to God, Abba, Father, and talk to him as his children with intimacy and closeness. Romans 8, 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit helps us pray. Or Romans 5, 5 says that the Holy Spirit... Uh, helps us understand and experience God's love within our life. And so all of those are just examples to help us see that the Christian life is life in the Spirit. And it's life with the Spirit, by the Spirit, that he actually uh, helps equip and empower us to live like Jesus in the world. And those are just some of the ways that he does it. That's why you get things like, the Apostle Paul saying in Ephesians 5.18, 
be filled with the Spirit, like in an ongoing sort of way, allow the Spirit complete access to your life, your heart, your your circumstances, so that you can be full of it, that your life can be filled with the Spirit. Or uh, Galatians chapter 5, 16, right before he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he says, walk by the Spirit or walk with the Spirit, that he's your walking partner in life. And so the Christian life is life in the Spirit. And what that means then is that God has sent his Spirit, as we talked about in our previous episode, he sent his spirit to be with us, right? He's God with us. God has sent his spirit to be with us so that we could live the way God created us to live. That's the primary thing that the spirit does. His primary job is to help us live the way God created us to live, to live like Jesus, who is the ultimate pattern of what a human is supposed to look like and do. And so God has sent his spirit to be with us, to enable us, to empower us, to equip us, to live the way God designed us to live. And now in the weeks ahead, we will talk then more specifically about how do we do that? How do we walk by the Spirit? What does it actually mean to be filled with the Spirit? And how do we do that? And so we'll talk about some of those specific passages just a little bit to help us have a clearer grasp of how it is that we can walk with the Spirit, how it is that the Spirit is going to help us live like Jesus in this world, live the way we were designed to live. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Once again, I am super grateful for you. May God bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine up on you. May he give you peace as you walk with him each and every day. God bless you. I look forward to talking to you again next week.